0: Welcome to the Power 365 Show. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guide.com forward slash 300. Wow, that's a few episodes we've gone through now. Before we chat with today's guest, here's a quick message from our sponsors. Well, our sponsor today is actually looking for a sponsor. If you know somebody that would like to sponsor the show, please feel free to get in touch. You can message me on LinkedIn. That would be fantastic. Otherwise, let's get started with today's show. Today's guest is from Ashburn, Virginia, in the USA. He's a Principal Program Manager Lead for the Customer Advisory Team at Microsoft. You might have heard of them as CAT. You can find him on Twitter at DevKeyDeet, which we're going to find out what that all means in a second. Welcome to the show, Mark Ashwaggart. Thank you. So, what is that Twitter handle all about?
1: Yeah, so... um, So... uh... I went to a military school in Virginia Uh called the Virginia military Institute and the mascot oddly enough is a kangaroo, um, but it's called a key debt. And the reason it's called a key debt, at least the folklore is that that's how Southern people in the United States pronounce the word cadet, which is what you are uh, at, at the Virginia military Institute. And so um, back in the early days when I was trying to have a little bit more anonymity on the internet, um, Uh And I, and everybody was using the word dev, you know, with something else. I, I put together dev because that was my background as a, a application developer and keyed it. And that sort of became my handle.
0: I like it. I like that it has such a good, unique story to it, you know, and it's not your name. And, and you know, it's it's unique. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Works. Tell us about life, family food? What do, you, what, do, what do you enjoy when we're not talking about Microsoft at work?
1: Yeah. So uh, I've got a, a wife, uh, two kids, a son and a daughter, uh, a dog. Um, I'm a, a cooking fan, I guess you could wow. say. I, I'm mm-hmm. a big, uh, big into smoking meat. Um, oh, so, wow. you know, uh, I've got multiple smokers and, and uh, try all sorts of different things on different styles of smokers. I'm a, a homebrewer. Um, so i 'm a beer oh. fan uh, a soccer coach, and uh i love live music and I guess to top it all off i'm i 'm uh still a, a gamer at heart
0: nice. There's so much to unpack there <laughs> as in. <laughs> so let's just touch on the smoking first. First of all, like how did you get into that? And and what? Are you, what's kind of, if you like, what's what's your go-to tool if you really want to execute? Um, and I say tool because I know there's a, a wide range from green egg to yeah, all, yeah. All, all different techniques when it comes to smoking. But what's your go-to?
1: So um, I would say my go-to these days out of. Uh, sheer laziness is my pellet smoker. Um, nice. I much prefer uh, charcoal wood chunk based smoking. Uh, and I do, I use a uh, generic green, big green egg uh, knockoff yep. for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I'm not so good at indirect smoking, um, but uh, I use, I use the, uh, the pellet smoker. I've got a Traeger. Just because it's easy, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like the microwaves of microwave smokers. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. The person that introduced me to it all was um, Shan. Oh, yeah. Oh, do you know I she, didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, so he, he used to, because he was a formerly an MVP, right, and yep. he would always have over, once he moved um, from Canada, you know, into Seattle. he would always have us over at MVP summits and always just do an array of meats that he had gone through and smoked and cooked for hours, and yep. it was like, it introduced me to this whole different world. You know, in New Zealand, we, we barbecue some sausages type thing, and, like, right. that's our barbecue, but now that's changing massively, and I think a lot of the influence is coming from the U.S. And, and how meat is prepared. You know, yeah, I'm, uh, with I'm a big with fan
1: of the uh, the super slow like overnight smoke. Like put it on nice. at midnight and wow. you know don't take it off till till dinner time. Kind of slow smoke. Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. And uh, do you only do red meats or anything else?
1: No, we do a lot of different things. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of chicken, a lot of turkey, uh-huh. uh, sausages. Um, and I'll use, I'll use my pellet smoker as a grill as well. So I'll like kick it up to 500 degrees and, you know, do a steak on it or burgers, that kind of nice. stuff. So pretty much multi-purpose.
0: Nice. Nice. Now, now the brewing side of things, another interest area of mine. <laughs> um, so what are you doing in
1: that space? So, um, I, uh. I I do a bunch of different styles of beer. I've been homebrewing for for quite some time now, and I've kind of graduated over the years of more advanced um, uh, equipment to allow me to to make uh, you know consistent output. But I mm-hmm. I do everything from you know bourbon stouts to you know brown maple brown ales to you know, German cultures to, you know, super citrusy, you know, American oh. IPAs. Um, I've got a, a pretty diverse taste in beer. I like, mm-hmm. I, there are very few beers I don't like.
0: You ever thought of distilling?
1: I have thought of distilling. As far as I can tell, it's still illegal in Virginia. Oh, um, but, I, uh, yeah, I didn't yeah. even
0: think of that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, like in New Zealand, you can do anything you want in that respect, as long as you're not selling it. Right. And um,
1: in Virginia, yeah. you can do beer as long as you're, you're not selling it. But I think... By the books, uh, distilling is still illegal in Virginia.
0: Wow, incredible. So what, do you think that's a throwback from Prohibition type Yeah, or?
1: absolutely. Just old laws that haven't been yeah. you know, updated.
0: Incredible, incredible. Now, I've got a brother-in-law that's uh, very active into brewing, and so therefore I'm very active into drinking what he <laughs> brews. <laughs> there you go. And, and uh, you know, the whole IPAs and APAs, etc. Are, are just, yeah, fantastic. So much more flavorsome than I feel so many of the beers that you buy on tap absolutely. in a bar.
1: Yeah. Wow. There's nothing like fresh beer either.
0: Yeah. So true. So true. So today we want to talk a bit about your role, what you do in Microsoft and and how it benefits the customers. But before we get there, tell us about your journey of getting into Microsoft.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I was a I did a bunch of different things throughout the years before leading up to to my role in Microsoft. And I kind of lived through the the .dot com you know bubble, and so I worked for a bunch of different startups. But I was I was always you know in the app dev space. I've got a CS background. I actually learned how to you know my dad was a computer science ma- major back in the day, and I you know I learned to program on a computer that most people have never heard of on an operating system, most people never heard of an, an Osborne running CPM. And basic wow. was was my first language. So I've always been interested and exciting excited about software development. And so I uh, kind of always knew what I wanted to do. And so got out of, out of college and was working for various Microsoft partners. Happened to, to be lucky enough to um, be working for a partner that I uh, did a lot of work in early adopter programs uh, back in the day. And so mm-hmm. I was involved in SQL Server early adopter programs, BizTalk early adopter programs, .NET Compact Framework, you know, you name it. I, I just, I, I stumbled into a, a really lucky opportunity, which then led to getting to know people at Microsoft, which then, you know, opened doors to an interview. And so the rest is history. I, I started off, you know, oddly enough, as a SQL BizTalk .NET Pre-sales engineer, um, and then I quickly learned about this this group that no longer exists, but the the spirit of it still does. It was a group called Developer and Platform Evangelism. Mm-hmm. And I spent the yep. first half or so of my career at Microsoft, um, basically going around talking to software developers about everything developer related, from you know .NET to SharePoint to you know SQL BizTalk. Eventually, Azure when it was first announced back in you know PDC08, yeah, yeah. all the way up. Up to this sort of epiphany I had uh, by accident, and I stumbled onto this thing called XRM, which uh, you know I always have to remind myself that that's a slowly fading term, and for most people yeah. uh, these days that means uh, dataverse and model driven apps, um, and you know the rest is kind of history. I, I've been in the power platform space ever since, so you could you could sort of say that I was uh, like like many of us in the the who come from the XRM world. I was low code before low code was cool.
0: Yeah. Isn't it interesting how quickly the ecosystem has changed? In that there's so many newcomers into the you know that are the building apps that are that are discovering the power platform for for the first time. And often, like I find, I I relate stories and I refer to it as the power platform, but it's definitely. You know, we were doing this stuff on XRM years ago. Absolutely, yeah. It's 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 definitely matured and come a long way. And of course, the uh, the analyst reports on uh, from from the revenue side. You know, I'm man. I think it was less than a hundred million dollar business when I first started getting involved. Well, less <laughs> right? than that, and now you know we're in what chasing down four billion or something at the moment. So it's, it's exciting
1: times. It's pretty amazing, yeah. And you know, I, I always say that XRM was the, the little engine that could. And now that it's part of the power platform, it's really starting to see its. Full potential.
0: Yeah, yeah. So true. So true. So n- now, just one thing that's gnawing in the back of my mind is—is is your Twitter handle came from the Virginia Military Academy, that type of thing. So, did you do any time in the military?
1: Uh, I did. I was in, uh, an infantryman in the the National Guard, which is um, not f- like full time. Uh, hey, it's yep. sort of you—you know—you train once a month, two weeks in the summer, kind of thing. So, yeah, I spent some some time in my early years.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. So, what's the best thing about working for Microsoft? Um apart from you know the share price
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would say you know for me uh, this may may sound cheesy, but it's it's working with customers um, i've you know I've done a bunch of different roles throughout the years, some roles that were not customer focused and um, I've always come back to missing uh, interacting with customers and, and helping make customers successful. And I guess that's, that's probably why I was so interested in joining this team that I'm on now, the Power Customer Advisory Team, um, because we we are right in the middle of... Um, you know, Microsoft's marquee customers pushing the bleeding edge of, of power platform and uh, influencing, in you know, a sort of bi-directional communication. You know, the the feature teams who are building the, the features that customers are building on and and advocating for the things that those customers need to be successful. So it's a, it's an exciting and, and, and fun role. So how did you end up in the role? So I met uh, Saurabh Pant, um, <laughs> it's funny, back in my early developer career. Uh, evangelism days and he was a pm on um something called wcf ria services which was really created to be a back end to a technology that uh is called microsoft silverlight for those of that yep, remember yep. it and uh we met back david, then david
0: yak definitely remembers it
1: <laughs> and so <laughs> we, we we met back then and uh um uh, didn't really keep in touch. And then, um, as I was getting into back into to power platform stuff, after a, a brief stint, focusing, uh, more exclusively on, on core Azure, um, uh, for working with uh, software as a service providers, um, I ran into another friend who reconnected me with Sarab, and I learned about Powercat. Um, and we, we started talking and I actually went and did a different role. I, I worked in corp sales for power apps for, for a while. And, uh, Again, I, I was in one of those places where I just missed working with customers, and I loved the substance of the work that the PowerCat team did. and So we reconnected, and uh, the rest is kind of history. So, so
0: just at a high level, the the Cat teams—is there multiple like within, let's say, the whole BizApp suite that sits under James Phillips? Huh? How many different Cat teams are there? Because I've recently come across. There's obviously one when the CDP platform. There's a Cat team. How many others are there besides your own? Yours, yours seems to be the most vocal in the space.
1: There, there's us, and then there's Power BI, um, gotcha. the Power mm-hmm. BI cat team, and then there's also um, the fast track team. And we all live in the same larger organization, but each of us have have different charters. And, and it's funny because um, there are cat teams in Azure. Well, there were cat teams in Azure. I don't know if there are still officially cat teams in Azure, but there are cat teams in other parts of the company. And you know, I think one thing I've learned is that. Not every, not all cat teams are are alike, right? We all sort of do perform a customer advisory role, but um, in a way that is catered to the needs of the particular business that we're aligned to. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And and do I have this right? In that your cutover type point is that you are involved in advising POCs, you know, developing out. Uh, the, the potential of of what is possible but then when the customer goes okay let's go to production is it a handoff point at at that of of seen with some of the cat teams is that the same with yours so to an extent
1: yeah i mean so our the team i'm on and, and we have we have different teams within the powercat team um but the team i'm on we we primarily execute a program we call adoption accelerator and it's it's basically a 3 to 6 month engagement with a customer who's made a strategic bet on low code technology uh, and the power platform to help them digitally transform and and, and you know include low code as part of their broader app modernization efforts and so we we sort of serve as their uh, product group liaison their customer advocate And their advisor on you know what success has looked like for other customers we we try to understand what success means to them in terms of their strategy around low-code technology and then combine you know the lessons that we've learned with other customers and the particular customer we're working with strategy and really try to plot out a adoption um, journey with them in in partnership with them uh, and, uh, and in hopes of getting them to a place where they're self sufficient in um, executing their their low code strategy with Power Platform mm-hmm. when we graduate mm-hmm.
0: them. Okay, okay. So so within that, you know, uh, one of the, the areas we want to discuss today is patterns and practices. Yeah. Microsoft PMP.
1: So at a high level, what what is this? Yeah. So for us in Powercat, we sort of um, are the the default team that, if you will, owns patterns and practices, um, for all things power platform outside of Power BI. The Power BI cat teams owns patterns and practices for, for Power BI. Um, but for us, patterns and practices is really a catch, catch all for. Essentially, everything that we, we can learn from our interactions with these deep engagements with customers and then attempt to try to, to scale those learnings in various ways. Now, that could be everything as formal as docs.microsoft.com articles. So, we're the team that is responsible for shepherding and growing um, docs.microsoft.com slash powerapps slash powerautomate slash platform, and then slash guidance off of all of those. Right, um, but we also create docs articles in you know the the proper sections of of the products. Um, everything from how to create multilingual apps to Azure integration scenarios, et cetera. And so it's it's um, working with feature teams and the docs team to take real world lessons learned from customers and get them into docs.microsoft.com, all the way to you know recording videos we have a a PowerCat architecture series which is a, a bit of a deeper dive into you know the platform and how it works and how to how to use capabilities of it et cetera um, and it, frankly, everything in between. Um, writing things that would traditionally, in, in 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 the olden days, if you will, be white papers. White papers tend to not exist as much anymore. We try to surface all that stuff on docs.microsoft.com. But we do a a variety of things. And and what we say is we do eighty percent interaction with customers to stay, you know, uh, so that when we document patterns and practices, they are grounded in the real world. Mm-hmm. And the, the remaining 20% of our time is to do those things, community engagement, videos, documentation, um, as well as build tooling uh, around something we call the COE starter kit, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about yeah. a little bit later. Yeah,
0: so so true. So, so when we look at patterns, uh, are these kind of like... Mm-hmm. Almost like best practices in a way, like whether it's from, uh, you know, how would you handle overtime or how would you handle, you know, uh, approval processes? Um, is that what we're talking about when we're talking about patterns? Is it's like best practices or ways to do this that you're finding from the range of companies you're working with?
1: Uh, in some cases, yes, and you know, it's funny you use a term that's a it's an interesting one for me. I've 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 never been the the biggest fan of of best practices because it it, they, it often makes it sound like there's one way to do something, right? And and the reality is, and, and you know, I think that's why we use the term patterns and practices because what's a best practice for one customer may not be a best practice for another, right? In context, and um uh, it, I think context is is really important. So we we try to to capture everything from, you know, like you said, architectural patterns um, to implementation practices, like for governance and administration, things like, you know, guidance around developing an environment strategy for Power Platform. But also, you know, things is is narrowly focused is how to um, configure Azure Active Directory authentication with Azure functions and call it from a Power App, right? So, it, it really varies based on um, circumstances and frankly a, a backlog of patterns and practices, ideas our team maintains and then tries to to prioritize and, and build out. So, so
0: are there any kind of standouts that that are top of mind for you that you're seeing either that are v- a very industry focused or or more generic, more horizontal?
1: Um, you know, I, I think we're seeing not not necessarily industry focused. I think if you you know you think a lot of a lot of the. The things that we document that are industry specific are are actually more what I would call um, customer stories, right? And so mm-hmm. um, our team uh, Powercat maintains a, a blog post on the Power Apps blog. If you go to aka.ms/powercatstories, it, it's sort of a, a running list of. Customers who've solved problems with the Power Platform, and and I think you can you uh, across various industries, right? And and I think you can find similarities in how you know they've used uh, Azure integration, or they've used Dataverse with Canvas apps, or scenarios where they've built model-driven apps, et cetera. And so in some cases, um, you know, there's consistency across what they've built, but I think. The interesting thing about a platform is that you know it—it's about making something your own. And if if uh, um, you know if, if a a first-party app existed, you probably wouldn't need a platform, right? Because the platforms yeah, for, yeah. for building something bespoke or extending something that's already been built. And so we definitely um, we definitely have uh, you know things that are um, industry specific, but that's more in the storytelling. What we try to do from a patterns and practice perspective is sort of pull out and genericize those things that are, so that they're. Broadly applicable. We haven't really gotten into industry-specific patterns and practices from a Powercat team yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, are, are you seeing a maturity in um, in the power platform, and particularly how customers are interacting with it? So, uh, you know, in the past, often, you know, what I've seen is as customers might start using the Power Platform because they have a problem that they need to solve that a Power App, whether it be model-driven canvas, et cetera, will solve. Um, and and it was bought in to address that problem. Um, and they don't realize that, you okay, so you've got the platform in play now and you can do a lot with that. Um, are you seeing now a move where customers are going, you know what, I do understand this as a platform and there's many applications within our organization that could sit on this platform, either applications that are maybe coming to end of life. Um, they might want to rationalize their their app strategy. There might be a scenario where just the training burden of so many different apps when they onboard new staff are excessive. And then, of course, they've got your maintenance fees around those ongoing licensing, um, let alone things like, you know, maybe security audits of these disparate apps. And so are you seeing this kind of pivot or move or maturity in the market where companies are are much more looking at as a platform for multi-app deployment than just a point solution
1: we definitely are and i think it's interesting i think every customer's realization that of that is different right because some customers in power platform they start off purely in citizen development right and they think that low code is only for enabling you know the citizen developer the the person who doesn't traditionally have an it or, or software development background to build applications and so it's a very narrow view that then expands once they start to realize all of the other capabilities of the platform right i think on the flip side for those of us who've, who've come from the XRM world, we're used to building point solutions, right? That it, for many customers are considered mission critical systems on this low code platform, right? And then, and and cost, many customers start from from that point of view, and then start to realize that there's so much more, right? There, and and you know, if you think about, I, I believe it's Gartner that coined the term uh, fusion team, right? You think about the potential of bringing citizen developers and professional developers and people who build mission critical systems together to solve problems in uh, not in isolation right but in a more of a a coordinated and unified way like to me that's really where uh, customers are starting to realize the potential of the platform is is that Mm -hmm. it's not either or it's it's sort of Together,
0: Yeah. And and are you seeing then also a, a maturity of maybe, again, I'm not sure if it's the right word to use, but where in the past, you know, partners would go in, they would know the platform, they would understand the business outcome and then map the technology to the, the business outcome. Are you seeing, though, a move to where customers, as I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the people that are going to use the software day to day are starting to. You know, scale almost in house their own biz dev, you know, process where they are, you know, one holding resource in house um, to be able to deliver these. Because although they might start as citizen, I say, you know, most citizen developers within three months of being a citizen developer, they're really starting to head to becoming technologists, right? Sure. Because it it does ramp them up um, incredibly so from a technology perspective. um, The more they engage them, the the more they learn, um, are you are you seeing this? Where you're seeing a lot of deals still very much partner led, um, or are you seeing a pivot to customers? Really, once the platform's in place, really starting to scale their own teams and build out, um, uh, you know, solutions to their business challenges.
1: I, I think we're seeing a mix of both because I, I, I think there's something unique about the power platform. Back to this theme that, like it. It is a platform for everyone from the citizen developer all the way to the, you know, call it professional developer code first person Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. to be able to solve problems. And the reality is the vast majority of the understanding of how to solve the more complex problems with the platform is um, it's still in the partner community. Right. And Mm -hmm. and in fact, you know, I always say this like low code enables you to build mission critical systems but those problems are still complex right the integrations the you know the complex business processes etc and so expecting a, a citizen developer to build a mission critical system by themselves is 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 not a realistic expectation right the the low code allows you to solve complex problems faster, but the problems themselves are complex. And and so understanding how to tackle that complex problem in a systematic way and using low-code low code technology to, to solve it, uh, you know, the implementation of it more rapidly, I think is where we're seeing a lot of partner involvement.
0: Anything popping out in the last um, 12 months now where we've had COVID in play? Obviously, there's been a lot of reference to what's been done in health, um, immunization, you know, contact tracing, that type of Type of thing outside of those stories I have you seen that with the impact of particularly people working from home what are you seeing um, from a, an adoption of the power platform
1: yeah so I think we're seeing that the the necessity to digitally transform is just being accelerated right which is why it's great that that um, power platform and low code technology is there as an enabler because in many ways the the type of um, organizational and, and system changes that were necessary to enable um, collaboration in this remote, you know, almost purely digital world that we're living in because of COVID um, mm-hmm. wouldn't have been possible in many cases, right? And so yeah. uh, we're seeing a lot of up, uh, interest and uptake in, for example, Dataverse for teams, right? And and making application development within teams feel feel nat- not only natural to develop but natural to surface and use in the context of how how customers are using teams um, that, that's a that's been a, a, a big area of focus and a big area of interest but I think in general like low code is is a um, is a, has been a uh, an enabler in this era to to help customers digitally transform more rapidly and and it's been a uh, i think the covid era has almost been a forcing function for many yeah. customers yeah
0: so so you mentioned their DataVerso teams and are you seeing then um A lot of people, and of course only in recent times with it it being a market, is that they are starting with a Teams-based app and then they're developing out further to mobile device, you know, um, uh, sorry, let's say anything away from Teams, but, you know, servicing the app in, in other ways. So I think
1: it's still early days, right? I think we're seeing a, a lot of customers building apps within Teams and then a lot of customers that are building apps, you know, outside of Teams on, on full Dataverse, right? Um, I think it's early days for us to see apps that sort of start off in Teams and then, then uh, graduate, if you will, to more, more complex apps. But that's that's certainly the goal, right? And the whole idea of Dataverse for Teams is that people can start, you know within teams use dataverse build apps on top of it and as their apps become uh you know or have more higher end requirements about around role based security and and other capabilities that dataverse has they can essentially um just unlock those capabilities
0: yeah yeah so so where does first of all what is the center of excellence um uh, starter kit and sure. and how did it come about and and how are you seeing that uh used or adopted more by customers
1: yeah so i would say um the center of excellence starter kit i think first starts with the concept of a center of excellence And I say concept because I think that's an important place to start, right? Um, Call it Center of Excellence, call it Center of Enablement, call it whatever you want. The name doesn't really matter, but like conceptually, it's a group in an organization that's ultimately responsible for driving that digital transformation and app modernization through low code and and through Power Platform, (laughs) right? It's the nucleus of people who are going to um, establish your your patterns and practices for your own organization, right? And, And make sure that people you know, that you have a governance administration plan and that you have, you know, consistent readiness and and learning uh, resources and nurturing resources, and you're building a sense of community and all those things. And the COE Starter Kit is essentially a set of tools built on the Power Platform by our team, PowerCat, uh, to help drive these kinds of activities that a center of excellence would drive. And so, it, it was born out of, you know, frankly, necessity. Um, and in many ways, you know, we we don't hide the fact that the COE starter kit, in many ways, builds capabilities on top of the platform using the platform that, frankly, many customers often wish were native in the platform, right? Yeah. Um, and and the reality is is that those capabilities aren't. And so we've solved problems using the platform to help customers accelerate their adoption. And so it all really started in this. Governance and administration space really giving customers full visibility of all their applications and Power Automate flows, and um, being able to report on them, take action on them, have 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 a general governance and administration plan. Through tooling, uh, having visibility that you can then, re, you know, based on data, make intelligent decisions around, you know, archiving apps, for example, uh, having a nurturing plan to build a, a community and a community of makers in your, your organization. And then a set of tools that that facilitate uh, doing that, tools that, frankly, other customers have, have had to build themselves or new customers would have to build themselves if we hadn't tried to genericize them as reference implementations in the COE starter kit. Mm-hmm.
0: So is, is there a specific size that you're seeing as the tipping point where... Uh, customers, you know, want to implement the starter kit. So let's say you take an organization, you've had uh, a range of people might have, you know, as citizen developers, they've started building apps and all of a sudden, uh, IT governance, that side of, you know, the org have said, hang on a second, we need to get our arms around this. We uh, need to understand what Shadow IT have kind of been doing and really put some structure and framework around it so, you know, we can we can grow more. Are you seeing there's a kind of, a, 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 like, a flashpoint where the coe kicks in or you start to you know get that feedback that engagement we need some way of of understanding and, and admitting you know um you know everything that we've got running on the power platform
1: so i think it depends on the customer like some customers have just locked down power platform where it's you know practically unusable in their organization and they won't unlock it, right, and and empower citizen developers and and other people to use the technology until they have the right governance and administration uh, environment strategy, et cetera, in place. And so for those customers, the COE starter Kit really becomes a way to enable them to build Comfort, credibility, uh, and control over the platform in a way that is on their terms. I think for some customers, it's exactly what you just described, right? They've allowed uh, citizen development, or they didn't even realize that citizen development was possible through office. And in in many cases, you'll, you'll talk to customers like, oh, we're not using the power platform and then, you know, they'll install the COE starter kit, and they'll actually realize that they've got quite a vibrant community of citizen developers that have built built up organically, right? And so it gives them almost a, a sort of a, a revelation that maybe they need to start um, building a, a virtual organization or a physical organization of of people who drive the center of excellence or center of enablement for broader power platform adoption. Because, you know, people were innovating cr- grassroots, and they want to you kind of get get around it and then start to think about how they can do things even more strategically.
0: Yeah. So, like, I understand that COE provides a set of tools that allow you to administer an environment, understand, you know, uh, maybe apps that need archiving off that are, you know, parentless if you like, um, if they uh, you know, the developers might have moved on, you know, whoever created those apps within the organization and then there's the whole governance of whether it be data storage, um, governance around privacy, GDPR, all these different type of things. that That's all practical tooling in that kit. What about the other side of a CO um, which is around, one, fostering an environment of creativity, of, you know, developing new apps, of sharing app ideas of, you know, whether they're hackathon events, you know, um, lunch and learns, or all that, so you can create this vibrant community, you know. Um, even, you know, often a citizen developer, they're not employed to be a citizen developer, right? They, they were employed in a job function who have seen um, uh, a problem in the way they Business does something that an app could potentially solve, and so they start finding tools. And uh, you know, they they might come across a power app, power platform, that and and start to build on it. How are you, or or is that not part of the remit of what you're doing? Is that whole, I suppose, soft skills, elements, etc., frameworks, um, that customers can adopt to really grow that community inside their organization?
1: So that's absolutely part of of the the goal of the kit, um, you know, and, and certainly in everything that we do, there's always opportunity um to do more. And and you know, one of the things I'll talk about later is how we're moving to an open source model for the the COE starter kit. But um we have a we have a set of components in the starter kit. There's something we call core components, which is literally a power platform dataverse solution that you install into an environment. It's got like a core data model that some of the other components use, right? And so the whole idea is that all of these Functions are interrelated, and so there's data stored in DataVerse to coordinate the business processes around them. One of the components we have, in addition to the governance components, is something we call the nurturing, uh, the nurture components. We also have introduced something we call the the innovation backlog. Which, again, all of these things have been built out of customer feedback and customer need. And, for example, the innovation backlog is a tool that allows you essentially collect ideas and um, essentially understand uh, rationalize, you know provide business justification for and then even seek out, volunteers to build on the ideas of other people right and so it's the idea of like crowdsourcing innovation and then uh having the community of citizen developers then you know say yeah that's a great idea i want to go solve that problem for other people
0: Mm -hmm. interesting so one thing you said there was um around open sourcing what what more can you, you talk about there
1: yeah so one of the things that we are introducing um, soon is uh, a, a new set of application lifecycle management components. And the the reality is that these are the ALM tools that we've built ourselves um, as the COE Starter Kit team to get us to a place where we could do healthy ALM over the multitude of power platform Dataverse solutions that we build. And then um, by sharing that accelerator, that got us to a place where um, we're doing healthy ALM, including the new preview um, experimental feature of Canvas app source code, right? And so that's all been a precursor to us getting to a place where, in the course of the next you know, um, few months, we are going to move to a, a new GitHub repo for the COE Starter Kit. And we will ship all the source code as pure source code in the GitHub repo, not just zip files. Um, and then it is our intent to start figuring out and collaborating with the community to start contributing to the COE starter kit, whether that be bug fixes, whether that be new ideas, right? We'll have our backlog out mm-hmm, in the open. Mm-hmm. And our goal is, is literally to encourage um, growing the capabilities in the COE starter kit, through the community because there's only so much a small team of people can do.
0: Oh, it's, a, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. I mean, you don't have to look past the 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 XRM tools to see just how a community working together on tool sets can really, you know, you get so much input from, you know, diverse um, countries, backgrounds, experiences. Um, I think it's going to open a lot of opportunity. That's
1: absolutely right.
0: Tell us about, um, you know, one the, in projects that I've worked on in the past, particularly around banking, there was often a requirement um, around uh, how they would use cloud technologies with often a, a, a very large uh, backend infrastructure that was on-prem and particularly the worry about security um, across those channels. So often talked about at that time was using a tool like ExpressRoute um, to extend uh, their network into, um, you know, Azure as an example. And of course, you know, back then Dynamics apps, et cetera, could all take part in that. And it was seen really as, you know, a secure tunnel um, if you're thinking about ExpressRoute and 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 technology now, and particularly those customers that kind of want that security, is it just the security element, or, or what does it mean to you?
1: Yeah, so interesting. You know, ExpressRoute is an interesting topic. Uh, it's kind of near and dear to me in the context of power platform, and 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 in general, specifically for this this term, because people are this, this association with security, right? Because, you know, people often associate ExpressRoute as, uh, you know, a security uh, used to, to uh, for security needs. Um, but in reality, I mean, ExpressRoute fundamentally is essentially a, Direct network co- connection, a direct connectivity from your internal network to the Azure data centers, right? Like that's the oversimplification of ExpressRoute. Now, logic says, well, if you've got a direct connection, it's harder, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it, you're, the, there's less of an attack surface, right? And so that's where the the security connotation comes comes from. But first and foremost, it's it's really just about a direct connection. And in some cases, there's there's performance benefits to that, right? Because yeah, yeah, less yeah. network hops, more direct route. It's Etc. Um, uh, and so, like the the question of ExpressRoute with Power Platform comes up often, you know. And and the answer, the short answer is typically yes, you can use ExpressRoute with Power Platform. Power Platform runs on top of Azure, right? Um, Azure is the, the Azure network is the backbone. Um, but as you get in, into more of the nuances, the reality is is that we don't have a a place that people can go to that un- to help them understand. ExpressRoute in the context of Power Platform. Like, as you kind of referred to, we, we have a white paper that was written for Dynamics 365 Customer Engagement that talks about ExpressRoute in the context of, of what we used to call CE, right? Or what's still called CE. But the reality is, old, nowadays, that it replaced that terminology with Dataverse and model-driven apps. But there's so much more to the Power Platform, right? And so oftentimes when we talk to customers about ExpressRoute, the answer is yes, you can use it. but go look at this docs article and that docs article and this other docs article and then like here's the the missing pieces and like sprinkle in some context over that and then you understand how it all works and that's, that's, you know, that's not a great customer experience. And so uh, one of the things that uh, our team is working on is, is documentation. Um, Taiki Yoshida from, from PowerCat is working on some documentation to really help customers understand ExpressRoute in the context of Power Platform, right? And then help them understand some of the new capabilities that are coming that have been mentioned in our release notes. So, you know, first and foremost, it's like from your client PC, can you acts, you know, access, uh, power platform endpoints without going over the internet, right? Like that's, that's fundamental one. you know, question one. The second question is also like from power platform, can I communicate back on, you know, to my, uh, corporate network, without going over the internet and historically that meant using um the on-prem gateway for most things power platform related or implementing application patterns where for example you put something you know in azure functions and you restricted the azure functions to azure ips only and then because that azure function could then talk to an azure vnet Um, You could then, through that VNet, go over the express route to go from the cloud back to your corporate network, effectively bypassing the need for something like an on-prem gateway. So one of the the features that's coming for the platform is the ability to do that natively or, said another way, essentially configure a power platform environment to connect to a Azure VNet, and then by extension, if that broader Azure network has been configured with ExpressRoute, essentially communicate from, you know, Power Apps, Power Automate, et cetera, through connectors and other resources to um, endpoints that are only available within your private network without needing the the on-prem gateway, right? And, and, you know, whether, whether you're doing that for... Performance reasons, whether you're doing that for to simplify the architecture, to not need a, an, a, a, an on-prem gateway, or or you know create um, a, a REST API hosted in, in Azure just to achieve the, the privacy level, um, or you're doing it you know because you you don't want to have any traffic going over the internet, like you know if you think of it more from a secure security context, right? Um, it has applicability in, in lots of different scenarios. And so, um, you know, this the, this white paper and, and then this new feature is really going to, in our mind, help customers with some of the conversations that we have with customers often around express route in the Power Platform, but do in a way, hopefully, kind of to the theme of what I said in the beginning, takes the the knowledge that we have, you know, puts it into some patterns and practices and scales it through uh, articles on docs.microsoft.com.
0: Nice. Uh, Are you seeing that uh, customers are coming to you with this challenge and therefore you're creating the solution, or are you seeing it more that you know that this is a better way to do Uh, connectivity uh, from the the corporate network to uh, Azure?
1: I would say it's a combination of both. For some customers, um, especially customers in highly regulated industries, they have either Corporate or um, industry policies which require this, right? And so it, it is table stakes. It's it's um, in order for them to broadly adopt the the platform, and especially adopt it for some of the more mission critical scenarios that they want to adopt it for. It's necessary. I think the 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 good byproduct of that is that it also will simplify connectivity for other customers who already have ExpressRoute and, for example, won't need to use uh, the on-prem gateway um, to, to establish that private connectivity.
0: Yeah. And of course, that's going to affect things like um, uh, uh, RPA, that's um, right. you know, uh, from a particularly on premise, you know, one of the questions I've, I've seen a lot is around uh, creating that connectivity using, you know, a gateway. Um, theoretically, if, if ExpressRoute was already in place, they're bypassing that, that need for that step.
1: Yeah, and the great news is that the way they're they're doing it, it'll have broad applicability to all things Power Platform, Power BI, Power Automate connectors, Dataverse, you know, Dataverse plugins, um, you know, you name it, everything that can do any sort of outbound communication will be able to be routed, um, you know, through that VNet and then through your private connection if you so choose to. Or you can do it in a way where you just restrict it to a, a private Azure network, right? So maybe you just want to give connectivity to something already in Azure that's in a in a VNet, right? That has uh, mm-hmm. network security groups and, and you you know you don't want to go over the internet and you want to have a more direct communication. Awesome. Well we've covered some ground today.
0: <laughs> Thanks for that Mark. Um before I jump onto some quick fire questions as we, we 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 wrap up this episode, is there is there anybody else that I should be talking to whether in the product team, your team, etc., that you think have um, a story to tell that you know the audience would, my audience would be interested in, particularly around you know the future of, of where we're going with the power platform, or really anything that you you think is, might be new coming out that 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 would be worth talking about.
1: Yeah, so I, I think you know this is where my you know code first developer roots probably are, are going, and my 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 bias and in interest is probably going to kind of surface. But there is a lot of work going on in uh, what we call development as a team sport uh, in the power platform, and what that really is about is. Bringing code-first people and you know low-code people together in new and innovative ways, and so I would say um, because and and that's a, obviously a very interesting space for me given my roots. So I, Evan Liu is the the PM who's responsible from a Power Apps perspective in this this development as a team sport work stream. and I, so I think he'd be a really interesting person to talk about how Microsoft is thinking about bringing you know, low-code and code-first personas together in, in new ways.
0: Evan Liu, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, you're ready for your quick-fire
1: questions? Let's go.
0: Okay, they're random. I find this one funny. What was the worst haircut you've ever had?
1: Um, the one that I have now because I'm I'm bald and I, I shave my head, and yeah, I used I to have long say, hair.
0: <laughs> I, wow, um, I'm bald as well, and I knew you were, so that's why I <laughs> thought that was going to be an interesting question. What mistake do you keep making over and over again? That you kind of pull yourself up on any?
1: Oh shoot! Um, thinking I can get m- more accomplished in a 24-hour period th- th- mm-hmm. than is humanly possible. Yep, yep, that's true. That's true.
0: Now, this one you'd have to go back in time for. Well, would you rather date someone you love or date someone that loves you?
1: Oh, that's um, random, right? Is that an either-or question? Yeah. Which, oh, which, man, would you, I would want both to be. I w- would yeah. w- want it to be bidirectional, but. Uh, I guess somebody I love.
0: Nice. What would your rap name be?
1: My rap name. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> oh shoot, Dev Keetet. I don't. I don't,
0: know,
1: I don't yeah, have a good answer yeah, on yeah. that one. Well,
0: the thing is, you're. Uh, I think you do really because <laughs> your Twitter handle would work. There you go. I love it. What's your favorite family tradition?
1: Um movie night? Nice. Is
0: that regular? Um,
1: pretty regular. You know, game night, movie night, just anything where, yeah. you know, we're where it's just the family doing something together.
0: Yeah. I'm just setting up a home theater for a big, you know, we want to make that a really standard tradition as well, so I like nice. that. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Ooh.
1: Um, cure cancer.
0: Nice. Nice. That's a biggie. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, also known as NZ365Guy. If there's a specific Microsoft person you would love to hear on the show, please reach out and let me know. Private message me on LinkedIn, best way to get hold of me. Uh, If you'd like to leave a review for the show, go to nz365guy.com forward slash review and all the options will be available uh, that you can leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Otherwise, stay safe out there. Thanks again for listening to the show and see you next time.